Hey there, this is Summer, just giving you a quick disclaimer at the beginning of this episode. You might notice as you listen that Michelle's audio sounds a little off. Um, It's because when it was recorded, it played back very, very staticky, and I had to go through and try to remove that static, and upon removing that static, it warped her audio a little bit, but it's not unlistenable. It just might be a little tiny bit annoying, Um, but hopefully knowing that there was an issue you can get past it and listen to the episode because it is a good episode. But I just wanted to put that disclaimer in there so, you know, obviously there's something wrong and I didn't want to leave you all in the dark. Thanks again. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Summer. Hey, Michelle. What's up? What is Cynthia Voigt's favorite school dance? I don't know. What is it? Homecoming. (laughs) (laughs) That was was funny. Thank funny. Thank you. How long do you think of that one? (laughs) I've been thinking of that um, since we started the book, (laughs) which was roughly a month and a half ago. Like, I'm going to hold on to this. That's awesome. Well, hello. Welcome to I've Read That. I'm Summer. I'm Michelle. And as you could tell by Michelle's amazing humor, our book, <laughs> like we said last, you know, month and a half, you said, is Homecoming by Cynthia Voigt. Um, and I'll apologize partially for the long break um hurricane times happened yes and that kind of threw off our schedule and we were supposed to record like two weeks ago and we weren't able to yeah although and, i you know we're both fine we weren't yes neither of us yes. really affected by the hurricane. thank goodness yes um, and michelle was moving so that was something else so it was like <laughs> yeah a very <laughs> bad time yeah since we recorded our last episode i found an apartment moved found a new job um I kind of made my very own homecoming I'm back in Florida (laughs) after two years which is exciting very fitting and school has started for you is another thing yes so that was like hey I gotta put some things on hold because my life is (laughs) (laughs) going very fast um but yeah yeah school started this month but here we are um yes we're back and we will hopefully be on a better schedule. And this was also a very long book. That's another reason is it was like, there's a lot to digest. It is. It it's a long, a long book, book, I feel, for this age range. Um, mm-hmm. It's yeah. almost 400 pages long. It's divided into two parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I figured if you wanted to take control of the summary, sure. um, we can do like a like quick summary. We don't have to go super duper duper deeply into characters because there are a lot of people that they mm-hmm. come in contact with. But if you just want to do either, you know, like the back of the book or we can do a, like a general quick summary as well if you want to do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll read start. the back of the book first and then we can kind of okay. go through the major cool. mm-hmm. plot points. Um, so I have this... Um, I think a re-publishing uh, of it, 2012 edition, and this is what it says on the back. It's still true. That's the first thing James Tillerman says to his older sister, Dicey, every morning. It's still true that their mother has abandoned the four Tillermans in a mall parking lot somewhere in the middle of Connecticut. It's still true that they have to find their way on their own to Great Aunt Scylla's house in Bridgeport. It's still true that they need to spend as little as possible on food and to seek shelter in the woods or in a half-built house or anywhere that is out of view of the authorities. It's still true that the only way they can hope to stay together is to just keep moving forward. Deep down, Dicey hopes they can find someone to trust, someone who will take them in and love them. But she's afraid it's just too much to hope for. Oh, so sad. It is so sad. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So, in the beginning of the book, we have the four main characters, the Tillerman. And, you know, Dicey is kind of the actual protagonist here. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, She's the oldest of four siblings. She's, I think... 13. 13, yeah. Um, I have the ages right here, so... Okay, good. (laughs) 
And then there's James, the second oldest. He's ten. He's ten. There's Maybeth is the third oldest. Yeah, she's nine. And then Sammy is the youngest. And he's six. He's six. Yeah. Boom. Nice. <laughs> I was like, I knew I have to pull this up because I wouldn't remember. <laughs> um, so in the beginning of the book, they are, as it said in that little synopsis, they're left in the car in a mar- mall parking lot. And their mother kind of just walks away. Um, and I'll just read the first little paragraph of the book because it really jumps right into it. The woman put her sad moon face in at the window of the car. You be good, she said. You hear me? You little ones, mind what Dicey tells you. You hear? Yes, Mama, they said. That's all right, then. And then she walks away and doesn't come back. And so pretty much the entire book is Dicey trying to get her siblings someplace safe. And that means a lot of walking. Um, They're on foot for pretty much the entire book. They first are trying to get to their great aunt Scylla's house, who is the only living relative that they know of. Um, and so they kind of, they have some misadventures along the way. They meet some, uh, a pair of uh, other teenagers that are also homeless. I mean, that's what they are. Yeah. And there's some type of, um, some type of, I'm trying to think of what it's called. Like it's inferred that they have left home. Mm-hmm in a very, like, bad manner, like, that the the girl has stolen something, like, from her father and ran off with this other guy. So that's, like, the first, you know, kind of people they meet. Yeah, that's the first people they meet who they kind of um, Mm -hmm. interact with and get help from, because in general, Dicey is very skeptical of other people. She doesn't want um, her and her siblings to go into foster care because her fear is that they'll be broken up from each other. Yeah, that's one of my points for yeah. later. But yeah, yep, yep. So um, they meet those two. They kind of move on. Along the way, they're sort of trying to scrape up money any way that they can. Sometimes they find change along the road. Sometimes they do little odd jobs. Um, like Dicey washes windows at a grocery store, and they carry bags for people in a parking lot. Um, eventually, they meet another pair of people who are two college students who let them kind of sleep in their dorm, and then they drive them the rest of the way to their great-aunt's house. So that's kind of the first part of the book. Um, They arrive at their great-aunt's house. They find that it's not really everything they had hoped. Their great-aunt is actually dead, Um, but their cousin lives in the house. Their cousin takes them in kind of reluctantly, Um, and it's just not a great environment. It's kind of restrictive. Um, and I think the thing that really stuck out to me the most, and I think sort of graded on Dicey the most, was that, um, the way her cousin treated Maybeth. We should talk about Maybeth. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's implied that Maybeth has some kind of learning disability, or I feel like it's kind of coded as autism. Yes, I think it's like ASD or something. Because she she is not, um, like, she's pretty smart. She understands things, and she's social with her family and people she knows well, but she's kind of nonverbal with people she doesn't know. Um, and that's why she keeps getting... Uh, held back in school is not because she doesn't understand the material, but because she never talks in class. Her teachers assume that she doesn't know. So their cousin um, kind of treats Maybeth as like a dress-up doll. Yeah, and And so the other ladies at church. Yeah, so she'll just dress her up in these dresses and take her to church and show her off, and that kind of grates on Dicey. And then Sammy, um, the youngest sibling, he's he's got some sort of aggression going on. He gets into a lot of fights and their cousin doesn't really know how to handle that, which also upsets Dicey. So they end up leaving. Um, They find out they have a living grandmother, their mom's mother, and that's their next destination. So the second part of the book is kind of trying to get to their grandmother's house. Um, 
they eventually meet another couple of teenagers who kind of help them cross a river in a boat. Mm-hmm. They get in some pretty serious trouble at one point where, Ugh. oh, that part of the book stresses me it, out. It's so scary. I was like, this, I just don't want them to get hurt. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so they see a help wanted sign at a farm picking, I don't remember, was it tomatoes or something like that? Something, for some type of fruit or some type of something. It was just like a picking job, picking yeah. crops, basically. So they think, okay, we can do this for a couple of days, make some money and move on. The farmer um, does not seem to intend to let them leave and just kind of has a lot of bad vibes going. So they s- also, he has this very aggressive dog that he chains up to a tree next to him. Like, doesn't feed? Yeah. Yeah. Like to keep him aggressive. Which yeah. He really like, starves his dog. So they eventually slip away from that farmer. They don't get paid. Um, and yeah, I love that Dicey's like. She, like, gets them out of this terrible situation. She gets them far, far away. And then, like, at the very last night, she's like, he never even paid us. Yep. <laughs> like, like, Yeah. So they um, they get to this circus. And oh, yes. the circus yes. is oh. great. Um, yes. The ringleader of this, or the owner, whatever you want to call it, of the circus, um, kind of shelters them from this farmer who does come looking for them. And it, it's to be said that they actually did meet the circus owner and some of the circus people in like one of the last towns they met yeah. them very briefly when they were kind of hanging around the circus just to see what it was mm-hmm. and then they got kind of like yelled at a little bit and they're like hey don't mess around here but then they were like oh we're just passing through like we don't mean any trouble <laughs> so they had met them before yeah so that's part of the reason why they took them in and like protected them yeah so they travel with the circus for a little while. They kind of, like, do odd jobs and have some fun mm-hmm. at the circus as it travels around until they get close to their grandmother's house. Um, and then the people working at the circus um, help them get to their grandmother's house where they meet um, their very ornery, <laughs> very antisocial grandmother who everyone in that town is kind of afraid of or thinks is just crazy yeah and they um, use those words yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> crazy is a word that comes up a lot of this book yes in a lot of different ways um, mm-hmm. which we can talk about but i just flipped to a random page and i see the word crazy there yeah, um of course so their grandmother seems like she doesn't want them there at all um she's living alone on this kind of decrepit old farm and so dicey decides that the way that they can ingratiate themselves to their grandma is by doing chores around the house and cleaning up the farm. And at first the grandmother is pretty resistant to it, but eventually she starts to develop an affection for the kids um, and eventually does take them in. Mm-hmm. And that's how the book ends. Thank goodness. Yeah. So, Which I'm, I'm scared to read the rest <laughs> of them if I decide to, because I don't want that to end. But <laughs> Yeah, so this is the first part of a, a pretty long Six? series. Yeah. Um, and it's... All the books are really good. I've read them all. Um, they, the series continues up until Dicey reaches adulthood. So the last book is kind of Dicey's entrance into adulthood and how she grapples with that. And some of them actually focus on side characters instead of the kids. Oh, that's cool. So it's really so like some of the characters we meet in the first one. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of characters that get introduced in the next book, Dicey's Song, which I think oh, okay. the author kind of described as a part three of this book. It kind of picks up right where it leads off. And then the What's next a... few books explore okay. some side characters. What's weird is that the next one on the back of this book that I have, it's saying the next one's A Solitary Blue is the next one. Yeah, it it's like that on mine too, and I don't know why it has them out of order. Huh. but it... <laughs> I don't even see Dicey's Song on here. Like, yeah, like Dicey's Song is the next one. And then, That's so strange. Um, the last one is 17 Against the Dealer. That's the last one in the series. So I don't know why yeah, they're out so of order. <laughs> yeah, the Solitary Blue, Songs from Afar, 17 Against the Other, The Runner, and Come a Stranger. Mm-hmm. That's how they have it. That's so weird. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> um, um, I do have just quick little background about Cynthia Voigt. Yeah. I took it. from her website. So um, she comes from a family of five children three girls and then twin boys. And she was the second oldest girl. Um, and there was actually, I can send it to you 
um, oops, that's not what I wanted to press. Um, her website, there is a picture of her and her sister. And it's really cute, the quote that she said. Um, here, let me pull up. So you can see, I mean, you could honestly just type it in, but there's her website. <laughs> um, so she says, uh, I was the second girl, and then she's in the photograph, I'm the one on the right whose overalls are slipping off her shoulder, whose <laughs> socks are crumpling down, and who looks disorganized and is a worry to her older sister, who's sitting next to her trying to get her in shape up for the photograph. So it's really cute, and it, like, it harkens to that, like, to kill a mockingbird, and even this homecoming of, like, this, like, I guess I hate it, like, tomboy type of, like, wild like outdoor child like yeah. somebody who's like who's more comfortable being outdoors and more comfortable kind of being free-spirited than being like trapped up yeah um so that was that was funny I thought that was very it, it's it it's a good comparison and you can kind of see why she would write a book like this yeah with growing up with so many siblings and just the way that she is um so she also did like a variety of activities when she was a young kid she did like horseback riding and all these different things swimming uh no, not swimming, tennis, piano, tap. So there's like a bunch of different things that she did. Um, and she's from around New England. So that kind of fits into the setting of the story mm -hmm. is set like in Connecticut and Maryland in the late 70s. Um, and this was written around the same time. Um, and she's very family oriented. Something else she says, she's like, I was never a best friend kind of person. Neither am I a circle of friends type as it turns out. And then she later does say that she... Um, what I am, as it turns out, and this surprises me a little, is a family person. So that's something else that you could already see her writing this book was kind of, yeah. maybe she knew already that she was a family person and she like, you know, already had that connection to it. So it's definitely, knowing her background is super important to the book. So that's kind of where I wanted to bring that into the context. Yeah, that's good information, especially the family thing, because I feel like that is mm -hmm. really the strongest, um motif of this book is how strong the bonds are between Dicey and her siblings mm -hmm. and kind of between the whole family as it extends to her grandmother too mm -hmm. um I one of my only problems with this book because I I really love this book and I love the whole series is that I think the setup of the plot is a little bit flimsy where Dicey thinks we can't go to the police. They would split us up. We're going to walk across multiple states instead. But I get that. Um, first of all, I get that that's something a child kind of yeah, thinks yeah. like that sort of warped <laughs> child logic. But also as the book goes on, you can see that there's a really strong proud streak in this family. Mm -hmm. um, like pride and not accepting help and things like that are very important qualities kind of in a good way and in a bad way. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it makes more sense as the book goes on why they feel the need to do this on their own. It's just a quality that runs through the family. Yeah, I even have that as like one of the, not necessarily main idea, but just like one of the symbols that like are a recurring thing is that the Tillerman name, and of course not all the characters have the Tillerman name, but mm -hmm. they do. The Tillerman name is kind of where they draw their strength from. Yeah. And they even like say that, that like we're Tillermans, like we're strong and, you know, and it, they're very family oriented. So it's like with the Tillerman name, that's who they are. Yeah. They're not just individuals. They're one unit. We are the Tillermans. Like... And I love and that. Definitely our yeah. package deal. I love that name because it, um, it kind of harkens to this idea of steering with a tiller. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's the scene when they're crossing the river, and Dicey actually gets to operate the tiller of the boat, and it kind of awakens this joy in her mm -hmm. when they're sailing across the river, and. Water is a really strong motif in this book in general. Um, yeah, like, it, it, you know, they're always fun. It saves them from the farmer. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. And Dicey says multiple times that she doesn't feel comfortable or happy unless they're close mm -hmm. to the water. And that's part of the reason they don't really like Aunt Scylla's house is because it's not close to the water. And the yeah, grandmother's house is. they grew up at the, at the 
beach mm-hmm. and you know like they that's just how they've known it their whole lives yeah and something else to make a point to to jump back about dicey making the decision like okay let's walk besides it being a child's decision mm-hmm. it's also it's probably the only thing that they've ever known yeah because like what would their mom have done you know what i mean like their mom would have just been like all right let's go to this new place and they were yeah you know supposedly going to this new place you know so it's like that's all that's all dicey knows is that like okay there's something wrong family's the most important let's just go we can't deal with this so it must have come from something she's heard in her life and it's Mm -hmm. like they're gonna split us up so this is all coming from her mom and she's you know, regurgitating it to her siblings. So it's like, she's getting it from somewhere because it's not just coming out of nowhere. And she's smart. She's a very smart, resourceful kid. And she like saves her family by being smart and resourceful. Yeah, for sure. Um, It definitely is um, something you can see that's modeled from their mom. Um, Mm. So there's this whole thing about the mom being what people outside the family think of as crazy. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of where the crazy thing starts. Um, And it's not really stated what the nature of what's happening to their mom is, um, which I sort of like that it's this undefined thing because Mm -hmm. a child wouldn't really know what's going on. But... um, you know, she's raising four kids on her own. Their father isn't around um, at the time that the book starts. She is having money problems. She's just kind of, in general, having trouble caring for her children. And she doesn't reach out for help. And you can see as the book develops that that's something she got from her own mother. The grandmother um, yeah. is very resistant to asking for help. Um and so it, the mom just kind of ends up being overwhelmed by all of this to the point where she can't deal with it anymore. And it's not really her fault, but it leaves the kids in this position of wondering, you know, why did she walk away? Is this something that anything could have prevented? And then there's this question hanging over them of, is this quote-unquote craziness something that's also in us and especially mm-hmm. Maybe. and a little bit of sammy too and but sammy. mostly maybe yeah. that's who they worry about yeah so the big i know you know we kind of outlined it with talking about who they are and that family is a big part but it's definitely that like home is kind of wherever mm-hmm. that whoever you consider family because you know in real life you know, in, in our world, family doesn't, like, your last name doesn't denote family. Mm-hmm. Like, 100%. In this book, the way that it is, is that these people are my family, and wherever they are, that's where I want to be, and that's kind of where their home is. They could have made home anywhere as long as they were together. And when their home yeah. was threatened, when there was the potential at their cousin's house that they could be separated, Dicey knew that she had to do something because their family was more important to being happy and feeling like they were finally home than it was to actually have like a roof over their head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that um, would really be a great topic of discussion prompted from this book is what is home and what does it mean to be home? There's also this Mm -hmm. um, kind of morbid, uh, theme that runs through Dicey's mind after she sees this inscription on a grave. And this is the part that sticks with me the most about this book. So I'll just read this little bit. Where they're in a cemetery, that's where they slept. Mm -hmm. While she waited for Maybeth to return and for James and Sammy to finish working out what was written on a cracked stone that slanted back toward the earth, Dicey looked at the gravestones about her. She read an inscription. Home is the hunter, home from the hill, and the sailor, home from the sea. What a thing to put on a grave. As if to say that being dead was home. Home for Dicey was their house in Provincetown, where the wind made the boards creak in a way that was almost music, or Aunt Scylla's big white house that faced over the water, the one she had dreamed about. Being dead wasn't going home, was it? 
Unless, and she remembered what James had been saying last night, home was the place where you finally stayed forever and ever. Then this person was home, and nobody would be truly home until he or she died. It was an awful thought. Only living people had homes. That was the difference. And then it sort of goes on, um, and Dicey really chews on what it means to be home for the rest of the book, and she thinks about mm-hmm. her inscription a lot. Um, until we finally get to the end of the book, and these are the two sentences, or the handful of sentences that it ends on. Ready to go home? Graham asked Dicey. She was smiling. Dicey just grinned back. Ready, she said. very good i love that i know it's like she she's never necessarily had like she has a concept of home she knows what like she has an idea mm-hmm. of what home is supposed to be but she's never necessarily felt that yeah. home because they've probably moved so much or been around so much or you know had to jump around and so now she finally feels like there's this person that obviously cares about us we're all together and they're not like she's not gonna separate us yeah because her gram can see, because like some of the reasons why um, they may have been separated was because of Maybeth and because of Sammy mm-hmm. that he just couldn't control like his his actions. And that's a kid. He's six years old. It's going to yeah. happen. Um, and he's obviously had a really rough childhood. So yeah, and she's finally found somebody who's accepting those qualities. Mm-hmm. And Sammy, I love Sammy. Yeah, he's funny. He's he, like, runs around naked in the rain. <laughs> he's, like, in the mud and stuff. And Sammy's really interesting to me because there's this section where Dicey is meditating on Sammy. And, you know, he's not even that old yet. He's the youngest child. He's only six. But she thinks about how happy he was when he was a toddler. Like, he was just this, you know, joyful child who was always happy and always making people laugh. And then he just kind of got angrier and meaner as he started to get older and how that kind of troubles her. Um, He gets into fights a lot, but I think it's important to note that he sort of fights people because they're insulting him or insulting his family or his mom. Mm -hmm. Um, He fights people that calls his mom crazy or that call Maybeth crazy or that call the family bastards because apparently that's an insult that children call each other. Yeah, right. <laughs> but because their parents weren't married and their father isn't around and they have their mother's last name, um, mm-hmm. that's something else that kind of gets thrown at them a lot. So Sammy sort of becomes this hostile child in response to the world around him. And I think that's really the troubling thing about Sammy. But he does still have this sort of joy and happiness in him. And it starts to come back when they're at their Graham's house. Yeah, because he can actually be a kid. Yeah. That's the thing. And he can, like, take a breather, relax. Because, like, when you think about it, they're dealing with whatever they dealt with with their mom. And then they're abandoned. And Sammy is so anxious about that mm-hmm. and worried because he loves his mother. And he's, you know, she's going to come for us. Where is she? She'll come back. I miss her. I miss her. Mm-hmm. But then he's immediately thrown into this trip. Where he can't even relax. I and mean, he ends up liking the fishing. But it's like they always have to do chores. He gets into trouble when he, you know, steals. Yep. You know, thinking it's for the best. But it's not. So he gets in trouble for that. He's he's not able to be a kid. He's doing things that he has to do to survive. Mm-hmm. So then once he gets to his Graham's house, he starts off hostile. Because she's hostile. Yeah. He doesn't know how to feel about her. But then once they start getting used to each other. once they Then once he realizes too that like, oh, this is, I think this is the place where we're staying. This is home. He can be a kid. He gets a bike. He, you know, he gets to do these things. He gets to be more free. And I think that's kind of where it starts to help him. Yeah. Where he's been stunted for so long. And that's something else um, I have about stunting change um, in some of these kids. It's like their life has been on pause. Yeah. Especially um, at Eunice's, that religion. um, and We haven't mentioned her name yet. Yes, yes, the cousin is, sorry. <laughs> um, it, the fact that, you know, religion is used as a way of stunting change in them. Mm-hmm. And almost like once they are in a, in a home with somebody who doesn't necessarily want them but is willing to take them in, they feel trapped. And yeah. it's because of that religion. It's because of the way 
that they're treated. And, and Dicey is really only there to do chores. Yeah. And the other kids are going to school and Maybeth is her plaything. And so they feel very trapped versus when they get to their grandma's, she doesn't want them or she can't necessarily take them. Mm-hmm. Or she thinks but, she Oh, she, yeah, she thinks she can't take them. And then she ends up, she does want them and she can take them, but they're more free yeah. there because she lets them kind of do what they need to do. She lets them be independent. She lets them be children. And the other thing about sort of Eunice versus Graham is that the kids, or maybe just Dicey, Dicey might be the only one kind of aware of this, but she really feels like a burden on mm-hmm. Eunice because yeah. Eunice sort of states that prior to the kids showing up, her dream had been to become a nun, mm-hmm. and she couldn't do that with the kids there, and she was willing to give that up for them, but she basically told Dicey, like, I'm, I'm always going to be kind of sad about this. Yep. Um, <laughs> Which is so terrible. But I get it. Yeah, you know it's, it's I mean? kind of sad for everyone involved. Um, yeah. <laughs> but Dicey just can't get over this feeling that they're mm-hmm. sort of making Eunice's life worse. Yeah, and they're not wanted. Yeah. That's just how she feels. It's like, we're not wanted. Yeah. So um, I want to go back a little bit and talk mm-hmm. about the family aspect. Because I think the other thing that really pops out to me about this book is that the reason the siblings are so tight with each other and sort of feel like they're all huddled together against the outside world is because Dicey really understands the rest of the kids in a way that the adults in the book tend to not. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's always kind of approaching the younger kids on their own terms. And she treats them each differently because they each have to be treated differently because they're such different people. Yeah, and they all have very, very different personalities. Yeah, so James, we haven't really talked about James very much. He's a really intelligent kid, and I think the biggest thing about James is that he's extremely impressionable. He kind of really wants a father figure, I think is Mm -hmm. the thing with James, because every time sort of an older man or even a teenager comes into their life, he's sort of immediately taking up their beliefs. Yep. Um, so he does that with the teenagers that they meet, the runaways. Um, he does that with the fathers at the religious mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. He does that with the college students. So he's always kind of like changing and casting about and he's really intelligent, but he sort of doesn't have his own beliefs. He's kind of just absorbing them from wherever he gets. So he's very impressionable. Um, but Dicey trusts him with a lot of responsibility because she knows that he's intelligent. Um, mm-hmm. And then Maybeth, Dicey knows that Maybeth doesn't like to talk to strangers or engage with them, and she doesn't really force her to do that. Um, she kind of lets Maybeth grow on her own terms, and she's always protecting Maybeth from people who think she's less capable than she is. And then Sammy, I think Sammy frustrates Dicey the most out of all the siblings because he's a very obstinate child and he kind of throws these tantrums. Um, Or, you know, if it's time for them to move on, he'll just, like, sit down and refuse to move. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's tired of it. Um, But she she knows how to deal with him and she knows how to approach him. And you can tell that the other kids have so much trust in Dicey and so much faith. And she's sort of the perfect guardian for them, even though I feel very sad that a 13-year-old has to be the guardian of three kids. She doesn't get her childhood either. No, she really doesn't. Um, But I think it's, it's a really rich kind of ground to think about how kids who are different or kids who kind of, um, need a little more care are sometimes really misunderstood by adults and Mm -hmm. in a way that can really harm them ultimately. Mm -hmm. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I don't know. That kind of leads into, um, I guess we can, if you want, we can either talk about, like, 
our likes and dislikes or because I have those first always but with that conversation we can kind of jump more into like the value of teaching Mm -hmm. this book maybe and the conversations you already did some conversations that it can inspire um but I think you know the the value of teaching this I mean and yes it's up it is suitable for the classroom um I think it's for more of middle school and up Mm -hmm. just because it is such a dense book and there are a lot of ideas in there not that like anything necessarily bad happens thank goodness but like (laughs) there's just a lot to think about and a lot of ideas and and things that you might not understand if you were younger than that right so I think middle school is a good time because it's around you know around Dicey's age by the time you're in like seventh or eighth grade and then older you could read this when you were in high school and it would still be impactful Mm -hmm. um they definitely comprehend more and connect more to Dicey, I think, though, being in the middle school range. Yeah. So it, it definitely shows you, like I said before, that, like, family can be anything. Mm-hmm. It's not just people with your last name, but in this case it is. Um, that through, with, with, like, perseverance, that you can get through a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as it's so terrible that these kids had to go through this, it does show that their hard work went a long way. And it helped them. Mostly Dicey. I mean, not that they all weren't working hard. They are all definitely working hard. Yeah. But Dicey kind of stepped forward and took on the responsibility for that. Um, and the whole idea, and especially like where I work, that some of these some kids might not understand that money is such a big issue for so many people. Mm-hmm. And that you need to be frugal sometimes in order to survive. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of leads into the conversations that can expi- inspire is on poverty yep. on the rates of homeless children in America. And the fact that that still is such a big thing now. Um, and I actually wrote down remembering um, a documentary that I watched in photography class in college called streetwise. It was made in 1984 set in Seattle. And it was this, these photo, this photojournalist and filmmaker mm-hmm. who went and talked to homeless youth in Seattle and like followed a certain group of kids and it's a really really good documentary and it's so like sad and hard to see it's like this is what's happening and this is the amount of homeless children in one city what is it like in every other city in America um and so that's definitely a big big thing to talk about and the last thing I have that um for my conversations that can inspire is just like the foster system in general Mm -hmm. how Dicey, you know, probably coming from her mother, but Dicey was so afraid of being separated from her family, being separated from her her siblings, that she refused to go to the police to be put into the foster system. So it it definitely shows that there's something there that is broken. Yeah. And that's what is kind of one of the relating factors to this large rate of homelessness in children in America. And even in my county, in certain parts of the county, there are homeless children. Mm -hmm. So it's like, those are the conversations that it can inspire. And I think you can teach it in different areas. Aerials that are more in poverty would understand it and definitely connect a lot. And areas that are in more, that are a little little bit more wealthy may be able to bring them down a little bit and kind of look at a different perspective, look at somebody else, like somebody else's life that is strikingly different from their own. Yeah. Um, so those are the biggest things that I have in teaching and the conversations that you can have with children. And the Streetwise documentary is not necessarily appropriate for children. <laughs> I was wondering. But it's, no, it's probably more like high school, college, like late high school, college age is a good time to watch that. But it is something that when you watch it, it's like, it definitely makes you step back and you're like, oh my gosh, just some of the stuff that these poor kids go through. Um, yeah. Yeah, so those are my little things. Well, and I think that... to um, to go with the topic of poverty or money, mm-hmm. um, I think maybe a good activity to go with this book would be, a you know, kind of a standard budgeting activity, but, yeah, you know, give an imaginary amount of money and say, um, you need to get this much food and it needs to be nutritious, like you need to get all the food groups. How are you going to manage Or just drink that? milk all oh the time. God. That's what the Tillermans do. They just drink milk. I need to talk about them. I cannot handle <laughs> the idea of carrying around a jug of milk all day and just using that for a meal. I mean, I get it. Sort of. Although the concept of walking around all day on a hot day with nothing but milk in your stomach. 
And disclaimer, Michelle and I both very, very adamantly and vocally do not like milk. No. From a cow. <laughs> do not like milk. I was never a milk drinker. I also think it was it was more common both when this book was wrote wrote? Written. Wrote. <laughs> when this book was written and when it takes place, um, that was kind of the height of the like big milk. <laughs> You know, milk is good for you. Milk is an appropriate thing to Got drink. Got milk? Got milk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> I personally milk. do not believe that milk is that important or nutritious. Nope. <laughs> we could talk to you for another half hour about, about milk. big milk and how it's ruining America, but... <laughs> so I've never been a milk drinker. Um, I, I'm a little horrified by the concept of just carrying around a jug of milk and... <laughs> Also, like, raw chicken wings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but regardless. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I, I took you off your actual smart no, idea. No, we can not talk about the milk. Tangent. But how do you, you know, how do you feed poor kids exactly. an adequate amount of nutrition on a tight budget? Yeah, so that would, and yeah, that would be a good um, activity. And I was really kind of thinking about that as I was doing hurricane prep. Um, you know, I went to the store and I was, you know, you have to get... At least a few days worth of non-perishable food. That's part of hurricane prep and water, of course. Um, these things that are beaten into you from childhood when you live in Florida. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so it's kind of going around and picking out. And I was thinking, you know, I sort of had this dicey in my brain that was like, how do I get all the food groups? How do I get the most nutrition for the least amount of money? I, I did buy evaporated milk in a can, but... That's neither here nor there. <laughs> no! <laughs> um, the other thing that I think would be a good lesson from this book, um, something that I think Dicey kind of has to learn over the course of the book, is that sometimes it is okay to get help and to trust mm-hmm. people. Although in one case with the farmer, it was, not okay, it was a very bad decision. Yeah. Um, which is kind of realistic. You know, you can't always mm-hmm. trust everybody, but you can trust most people. Yeah. Um, well, and when and the, the 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 thing that she makes a point about is that she already had like a negative feeling about it. With nobody else, did she think that it was like a bad thing necessarily to trust them? She never had that like gut feeling, which you can't always go on that mm-hmm. gut feeling. Is just like you know, it's not real scientific, but like it's not measurable. But she, they went off of the main path. They went down a side road where nobody knew where they were. Yeah. In the other cases, it's very public areas where it was like, oh, these people are helping us. These teenagers are helping us. But it was at like a campground where other people were there. So Mm -hmm. if anything happened, somebody would be there to find out. Yeah. They met the college students. It's on a college campus. Somebody would find out. You know, it's like these things that it's like. They were in public areas finding help from these people. And thankfully, all of these people were good-natured people. Mm-hmm. And she was still still weary. It wasn't like she was putting her full trust into them. But... Yeah. Like, she you know, changed when her she name did, sometimes. Yes, Danny. Sometimes they mistake them, stuck her for a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, she kind of rolled with that. Which Danny. Yeah, she was fine. I mean, it's safer out right. there. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but yeah, so she made the decision to go off the path mm-hmm. to look for work because she thought they needed more money to survive for a couple more days. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, she put herself in danger. I think that kind of, by sticking to the public areas, she yeah. was smarter in that way. And in that like one lapse of judgment by going off the path and going more private, that kind of made the trouble happen there. Yeah. That's how I saw it anyway. Is like, no, I think you're right. One lapse. Mm-hmm. And there's also this interesting part toward the end um, where Graham also kind of has to learn to ask for help because she is, she's very independent now. It's revealed that when her husband was alive and her husband was kind of this tyrannical figure, she was very much a traditional wife. She did what he said, and that's something she regrets now, but she understands that she can't do anything about it. Um, but now she's like fully independent. She doesn't want to ask for help from anybody. But towards the end of the book, she goes into town and talks to the butcher, Millie. And she says, 
Um, tell me, Millie, her grandmother said with a side glance at Icy, do you get Social Security money? Of course, since Herbie died, it's my due. I paid into it every month, all my working life. It's a widow's due, I tell you. I couldn't get through the month without it, not with what the store brings in. Widow's due, that's what I call it, and there's no shame. You take it too, don't you? I didn't work to pay in, Dice's grandmother said. No more you didn't, Ab Tillerman, raising three children and working on that farm. Your John did too, every year in his taxes. It's for widows and their children as much as for people older than me are and helpless. So don't raise your nose at me. So she kind of, an interesting parallel between Graham and Dicey is that they both want to be independent, but they're kind of forced into positions where they have to learn that it's okay to accept help sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, Because Graham makes it pretty clear that she can't afford to take care of the four kids on her own with the amount of money she has. Um, But she starts to kind of learn that it's okay to reach out, and she sort of thinks about James's idea of raising Christmas trees. So she's thinking about the kids' contributions and what their ideas are. I, I, I love Graham. I think she's a really interesting character. Yeah, she's awesome. Because she's like that stability that they need. Mm-hmm. That she's like tough love and she's made her mistakes. So she kind of like, she knows kind of what she needs to do with them. Yeah. To not make the same mistakes she made. Because part of the reason why Dicey's mom and her were estranged was because of her father. Mm-hmm. You know? And so it's like, I think Graham feels like this is her way to like repent for staying silent for so long is by taking in her grandchildren yeah it's like they're helping her as much like you said they're helping her as much as she's helping them yeah because all of graham's own kids basically went away um as soon as they were able to and one of them um bullet was killed in vietnam actually one of the books in the series is about bullet Um, oh wow the runner is just all about bullet in his life and his real name is um samuel samuel yeah so sammy is named after him um do you want to talk about likes and dislikes then beyond what we've yeah we can talk about, about likes and dislikes because we're yeah um so in general what i liked is i just liked the story mm-hmm. i liked the journey i liked the family i thought they were really good and kind of like showed like the, like I said, like that wild child of America, Mm -hmm. like in the dirt, like Huck Finn. It was like, you know, as much as, you know, I don't like to gender a bunch of stuff, but it was like a Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer story. If you are like, feel like you're female, you know what I mean? That's what it was. It was like, you're dicey Mm -hmm. and you're a female and you're going through this. And like anybody can connect with a child, but that's kind of like what it came off to me as is like, somebody else gets to experience this, you know, <laughs> like somebody yeah. gets to have it. Um, I mean, I think I also, it, it kind of yeah. is gendered in a way in the sense that I don't know that there would be a novel like this where a boy is the caretaker of his siblings. I mean, she kind of, she's not a feminine kid. No. She's like you said, kind of a, tomboy which it it kind of put air quotes around Um, (laughs) but she's still she she has to be the caretaker for these kids and kind of assume her mother's role and she does it Mm -hmm. well but it does it also kind of takes a lot out of her and takes a lot away from her yeah because like you said she really doesn't get to have her childhood now at least until Mm -hmm. they find another guardian in Graham Mm mm-hmm yeah, and that's um, a big thing that I have written down, too, is, like, the fact that, like, I loved Dicey, mm-hmm. and I love that she did everything in her power to, like, fight for her family that she had, yeah. and just to try stability, to try to find stability for them. Yeah. And despite, like, where she might have ended up. She just wanted them to be safe. She wanted them to have a place, but she really wanted them all to be together, but, like, you know, if they couldn't all be together, she at least wanted to find this stability for them. Um, because she at first, like, before going to find Graham, she was going to go by herself. She was going to leave them at Eunice's mm-hmm. and go by herself because she felt that was the right thing to do. Yeah, she wanted and they to make all sure follow it was her. okay. 
yes, she wanted to make sure it was okay that they weren't going to be, like, kicked out right mm-hmm. away because she didn't want them to go through that trauma again. But they end up finding out that she's going to leave and they all go with her anyway and follow her. And they're, they're like, you said you wouldn't leave us. Yeah. You left us. And so I think she kind of realizes there that, oh, we're all in this together. Yeah. Like, we're all in and this is it. Um, and my biggest thing of my likes is that they don't get hurt. I have <laughs> yes. that written down that they don't get hurt. I yeah. am so anxious. Up- okay. <laughs> yeah, so they were going to get hurt. There's a happy ending. Um, <laughs> yes. There's not too much that I dislike about this book, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that sometimes the sections seemed very, very long. Like, mm-hmm. sometimes the chapters were so dragged out. But when you think about it, it, like, makes it, the story more meaningful. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, like, it is a slow story because, like, they did walk for weeks. Yeah. And they did travel for weeks by themselves. And so, like, the pace of the story is set slow to kind of match the tone of how slow they're traveling. Um, so I understand that, but that was something that, like, as I was reading it, I was like, okay, all right. We're walking. We can talk yeah. about, let's, like, maybe let's just say Sammy went fishing, and then, like, and they do kind of do that near the end. But it's, like, it does go slow at times. But it, it makes the story. I think it is important. But there really isn't too much that I necessarily disliked about this novel. Yeah, I think I have pretty much the same likes and dislikes. Um, I love Dicey as a character. Mm-hmm. Um I would recommend to you or to a listener, all, all two of our listeners, um, <laughs> that if you like Dicey in this book, um, even if you don't read the whole rest of the series, to at least read Dicey's song and Seventeen Against the Dealer, because those kind of complete her personal arc um, up through adulthood. And it's really amazing and really affecting to watch the way she grows and changes um, as she grows up. I love, um, like I said, I agree with you. It, it gets kind of long and it's, it's interesting in ways that I both like and dislike how there's sort of two different journeys in this book in part one and part two, mm-hmm. where we have this journey, we get to Eunice's house, realize it's disappointing and then have another journey, which is more abridged. The second one, it happens faster yeah. and, and more easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that could be a stumbling block for some people um, if they don't have a lot of patience for long books, and especially maybe yeah. kids. Yeah, yeah, children <laughs> in particular. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I love the writing style. I think there's a lot of subtlety to the writing. Um, and I don't mean that children's lit is like unsubtle, usually. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's so much emotional depth in this book and so much complexity, which um, kind of necessitates it being long, I think, because you have to develop that complexity over a long period of time. Um, but there's sort of this melancholy that I feel like pervades the whole book and, and really the whole series. And it's so enhanced by the motifs of the water and home and what is home and not having home and also this folk music motif which is very prevalent yeah i did mention i i wrote down about their songs Mm -hmm. um it's like their connection to their idea of home i guess is their songs um yeah i have that written down yeah and it's sort of like an Mm old-fashioned thing i feel like even at the time that this was taking place um sort of this idea of a family singing folk music together and they the people they meet also are musical and have musical instruments the teenagers they meet mm-hmm. in the park um edie i think has an auto harp which is a pretty yeah. unusual instrument for a kid in the yeah. 80s to own but i love it um and then the college students they also have some instruments and they play music together and it's such a strong um piece of connection between the kids and their mom because they sort of comfort themselves and keep themselves going by singing the songs that they've learned from their mom which I think is a really beautiful thing yeah who they find out in turn she learned from growing up yeah so it's like it's a strong they sing historical family connection Mm -hmm. 
which a lot of it all comes back to family just like fast and furious (laughs) it's all about family this book is just like fast and furious yep it's the same book same book same movie (laughs) (laughs) just a lot slower (laughs) slow and furious um but i don't i think that pretty much covers my likes and dislikes i i really Mm -hmm. enjoyed this book i enjoyed the whole series yeah it was really good um pretty emotionally mature i think this book is yeah Mm -hmm. which as you said i think makes it more appropriate for older kids than younger kids yeah Um, younger kids might maybe understand the plot but i don't think they would connect to dicey no and they might not understand like the emotional aspect of it so i think i think you hit it on the head with middle school thanks (laughs) Yeah, so that was Homecoming. Um, it's very good. Highly recommended. I really enjoyed it. This was a, like an excellent pick. It was a good one to read. Yeah, I'm glad you liked um, it because uh, yeah. I think the length definitely is a stumbling block for some people. So I was mm-hmm. wondering. Um, it's like by looking at it and then like opening it and kind of being like, okay, and then the pace of it, you kind of get a little bit like, all right, <laughs> this is going to be over. But no, it really is like, the story is what hooks mm-hmm. you and wanting to figure out what's going to happen to them yeah. because it is such like a tragic thing that they're going through. Yeah. And they're such endearing um, kids. Oh, yeah. So I figured the last thing is we can go over like what we've read or what we're reading oh, yeah. and what we're going to read next, which I might have an idea of what I want to read next. Okay. Um, I think I know what I want to do. Um, so I actually recently, like literally just two days ago, finished listening to an audiobook of um, Here We Go, Let's Get This Author, Boom Boom Boom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I listened to Sadie by Courtney Summers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I do and I don't recommend this book. Okay. Um, I-, I listened to the audiobook because the book is actually set up in like a podcast format so it's like it's a podcast in the book and also the story that Sadie is telling so it's better listened to as an audiobook than read mm-hmm. um so it definitely got me like that but it is a really difficult subject it focuses on um sexual abuse in children and so to listen to it it, it does go through a lot and like talks about a lot mm-hmm. and I have this problem with books that or and media in general that goes into sexual abuse or just abuse in general of people that sometimes I'm like it's not necessary right you don't have to do the most right because people will understand subtleties and as long as you like explain it you don't have to show it kind of thing yeah um I don't know so it's hard for me to kind of explain that so I did enjoy to an extent listening to the book I thought the setup was good but some of it I didn't enjoy as much and I thought it was just a little too like too much to handle and if you're somebody who's dealt with sexual abuse in any way Mm -hmm. this book is 100% absolutely a triggering book Mm -hmm. and you could not listen to it so I do and I don't recommend it I recommend it if you're interested in that format and it was a good story but the ending was a little bit more fat it was fast um the way that it wrapped up and it does focus on some topics that are um, a little bit more heavy, kind of, to listen to. Yeah. Um, so that was what I was just listening to and my headspace with that. And I, like I said, I just finished it two days ago. Mm-hmm. So that was what I was reading. And I'm going to move on to a <laughs> happier, less, you know, miserable book. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> good a good book, but... That's a- kind of a big conversation it's a conversation I had a lot in grad school actually when I was getting my creative writing degree is you know because the general writing advice is show don't tell you know specific Mm -hmm. versus general um and it's true that um you bring your reader in more the more specific you are um but this kind of conversation of when it is such a difficult topic and it's so um important to a lot of people yes absolutely um is you know how much is it worth it to really go into depth 
for the sake of artistry versus sort of how much of a responsibility do you have to protect the reader and even protect mm-hmm. yourself if it's something you're yeah. writing about out of personal experience? You know, do you have a responsibility to kind of lay your own suffering out or yeah. or can you protect yourself a little bit more than that? So it's, you know, it's a big conversation that there's not really yeah, a one and done answer for. <laughs> yes, there's no clear answer. I call it almost like a shock value mm-hmm. type thing. In some cases, it's the shock value. In Definitely. some cases, it's not. It's part of the reason why, you know, we had to stop watching, like, Outlander. Something happened in there that was miserable. Mm-hmm. And um, why I won't really watch Game of Thrones yeah. is I, I've already heard plenty about the things right. that happen. <laughs> and I'm not necessarily looking to watch sexual abuse happen on television. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's, like, it, it's a very fine line. And it's not, like, a th- it's, like, like, history. You can't erase history. Yeah. You can't erase the things that actually happen. But you need to kind of be more mindful about mm-hmm. how you're going about talking about these topics. I guess is kind of what I'm getting at with <laughs> no, that. No, yeah. But definitely. anyway. <laughs> um, well, I've, I've been reading a lot, actually, in the midst of moving. Um, I am currently reading a novel called The Sport of Kings by C.E. Morgan. Um, I just saw that on your little st- your story. Right, yeah, it was on my story. <laughs> um, I actually met that author while I was yeah, getting awesome. my MFA. She was an amazing reader, an amazing writer. It's a great book. Um, it's quite lengthy. It's sort of um, one of those long generational epics that goes over multiple characters and multiple generations and things like that. But it's about... I mean, it's about a lot of things on the surface. It's about horse racing. Um, but it's really kind of about, like, cycles of abuse and wealth and racism in the South and all this different stuff kind of packed into the the motif of horse racing. So it's a, it's a great book. It does get um, quite uncomfortable at times. So I think it's another kind of book where you have to sort of (laughs) protect yourself a little bit as you read it because it gets pretty intense. Um, I also just read a book called Being Caribou. It's from Milkweed Editions. Um, It's a nonfiction book about this couple who follows an Arctic herd of caribou on foot for five months. Um, And it also goes into a lot of the debates around drilling in the Arctic wildlife preserve um which i haven't really heard a discussion about lately but i remember was a huge thing kind of during the bush years i remember hearing that talked about a lot so that's a really interesting book if you're into that kind of thing and i'm reading a book of poetry called doomstead days from night boat um, by brian tier um brian tier is a great writer it's a lot about um Climate change, there's a long poem about um, oil spills and all these different kinds of things. And the poems are beautiful and long and pretty easy to read. So I would recommend that. Definitely. And not that I don't recommend Sadie. Like Mm -hmm. I said, I think the format is good. If that's something you sound like you'd be interested in, definitely listen to it um, as an audiobook. But just be warned that there is a lot of heavy subject yeah you know in it there's, there's a lot in it that some people might not be able to handle because you know you get this like pit in your stomach sometimes when you're listening right. to it um and it was hard to listen to so do recommend it author was good but i have my own reservations qualms yeah. with the story yeah. <laughs> so yeah so i think the book that i want to read is a book I've been thinking about for a while. Okay. Um, and I, I've i been, like, saying, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it and putting it off. And then over the summer, I went to, the, I, you know, I talked about it before. I think it was actually the last episode, how long ago we, you know, did this. <laughs> um, I went to the Scholastic Reading Summit in Orlando. Okay. And um, Grace Lynn was one of the, like, the, the last person to talk. She was, like, the closing um, lecture. And she was amazing. 
I ended up really, really liking her. She was fantastic. She has a podcast I told you about, and I started listening to her podcast mm-hmm. with her friend that um, oh, I cannot remember her name, but they've been friends since they were children. Um, her friend's an editor, and she's an author, and they work together. Um, but she wrote Where the Mountain Meets the Moon, okay. and that is a book that is read. We have like multiple class sets of it, and I actually picked up, when I was at the conference, I picked up a signed copy from her. Um, and so... I've been wanting to read it. I've never read it. Um, and it, it, I wanted to read it anyway, and I, it was on our list. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And then that will, like, make me actually read yeah. it instead <laughs> of still putting it off like I do with everything. So um, I think my choice is going to be, well, I think it is, um, <laughs> the mountain meets the moon. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe I'll change it in, like, a week. But no, my book is going to be Where the Mountain Meets the okay. Moon uh, by Grace Lynn. Awesome. So that is what we're going to be reading next and hopefully get an episode out sooner <laughs> this time. Yeah. Also props to Michelle for doing that summary so fast. Cause like I talk <laughs> so much and I like try My brain is like, get every detail. And Michelle was just like, boom, boom, boom here. Like, <laughs> like the very big difference, striking difference between getting the summary <laughs> done quickly and me just like rambling on. I mean, there's also, like you said, a lot of the book is kind of just walking <laughs> Yes, it's walking. There's nothing. <laughs> and fishing and sleeping and being sad. Yes. Yes. You know, the normal the normal things like, you do yeah. in life. When you're 13. Yes. <laughs> sleeping. Uh, yeah. um, all, right. all right. I'm excited to sink my teeth into this next book. Yes, me too. I'm, like, ready to do it because I just need to. Like, I want mm-hmm. to read it. Like, very excited. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for listening to I've Read That. I'm Summer. And still don't have a sign off. I know, we need one. Catch you later. Like a fish? Is that, <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs>